Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now on to week three of our Blessed series. Last week, we talked about blessed persecution, something that everyone loves to hear about, right? Because we all consider ourselves so blessed when we go through persecution, right? Not quite, but all of these Beatitudes kind of have that ring to them, don't they? Where Jesus tells us, blessed are these people, and if we're living in the wrong kingdom, if we're living for this world, we look at these and we're like, Jesus, you got a weird definition of blessing because that doesn't look blessed to me. But if we're living for his kingdom, all of a sudden we start to see, yes, and hopefully when you left last week or when you listened last week or whatever, you came away seeing that, yes, if we are living for God's kingdom, persecution can truly be a blessing because it shows us where our loyalties are. It shows us where our true aim is when we walk through trials and hard times. Now this week, we turn our attention to the beatitude or blessing that comes immediately before blessed are the persecuted. And that is, blessed are the peacekeepers. Wait, no, that's not what it says, right? It's actually, we call this in, in the world of education, I used to be a teacher before I left to go into full-time ministry. In the world of education, we call this a teachable moment. Because when I was writing my PowerPoint, I screwed up and I put peacekeeper instead of peacemaker. And that's a teachable moment. Because I think when a lot of us read these Beatitudes, just because that term peacekeeper is familiar to us, we read into Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers. We read into it, blessed are the peacekeepers, right? So much so that I actually have this error made multiple times in the PowerPoint where I accidentally wrote peacekeeper instead of peacemaker. So it's just so ingrained in us, right? Because, because we've heard of peacekeeper. It's, it's rare that people talk about peacemakers, but we've got to anchor down on this. And if we move into this blessing, if we look at what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the blessing of peacemakers, not peacekeepers, we'll learn something. We'll learn a lot about why this holds blessing. We'll learn a lot about why peacekeeping actually leads to persecution, right? We talked in the first week about how all of these beatitudes go together. It's not like you just pick one and then you get to ignore the rest. They all go together. So what does peacemaking have to do with persecution? And we're going to get there. I told you uh, last week, at the end of the sermon last week, that if you wanted to get a little head start on this week's passage, to go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4 is kind of like a bridge passage. It kind of ties our two passages together. So if you read that, fantastic. If you didn't, this is one part of 1 Corinthians 4 that you missed. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, "...up to this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty." 
we, and are poorly clothed and roughly treated and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When we are verbally abused, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we reply as friends. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. You see in the tide of persecution there? See how that fits in there? Now let's keep going. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, be imitators of me. Now, I'm trying not to preach a ton on this passage because we've got a lot of beatitude to get to. But I want to point something interesting in the Greek here. In the Greek, uh, when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, when this is being taught to the Corinthian church, he says, in Jesus Christ, I became your father. The Greek literally says there, it, it talks about a father as in bearing children. So the literal translation of that Greek is procreating, right? Of, of, of growing. Now, Everybody reading this, again, this goes back to that concept. We talked about this a lot in the first week, but when we read God's word, we've got to ask the question, what did this mean to the original hearers, right? Because the Bible can never mean today what it never meant back then. We can't do that. So what, what did this mean to the original hearers? Now, nobody in the Corinthian church was actually Paul's child, right? Paul did not have children that we know of. Uh, that would be very shocking discovery if we found out Paul had children, but he, he didn't have children, and so none of these people are his children that he bore, so what's he talking about? Everyone reading this, everyone hearing this would know that Paul is talking about an exclusive discipling relationship, that Paul is talking to his disciples, his spiritual children that he brought forward. Ladies and gentlemen, peacemaking is disciple-making. We'll get there. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. What do you desire, that I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So, how in the world does this passage tie in to what Jesus is talking about when it comes to peacemakers? I am so glad you asked. We're going to look at three things today that, the, that we can learn about being a peacemaker, being a blessed peacemaker. So first, some of you have heard this phrase before. Some of you are familiar with the old DC Talk song, Love is a Verb. Any DC Talk fans out there? Anyone? Yeah, down with the DC Talk. Okay, they had a popular song a while back uh, called Love is a Verb, and we've heard that phrase, right? Love is a verb, meaning if in order for it to be love, love has to have action to it, right? Peace is the same thing, y'all. God's peace requires action, and we've got to stop looking at it as if it's passive. Second, like with everything that we are going to talk about, that we have talked about in this series, there has to be an aim to it. So we've got to aim our peace, and we have to aim it at the right target. And this is vital that we get this right. And then finally, we take a look at the end result of our peace. So first, love is a verb, and so is peace. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called sons of God, peacemakers and not peacekeepers. Are there any Tombstone fans out here? Now, the movie Tombstone, not the frozen pizza. Right? Have, has anybody seen the movie Tombstone? Yes, a couple people. There's, okay, and it's not you don't have to watch the movie. If you know anything about the, the Western sheriff, Wyatt Earp, right? He's the gun-blazing cowboy, you know, awesome. I like the movie, so. But Wyatt Earp had a gun. Do you know what his gun was named? The Peacemaker. Yeah, right? Come on. And, you know, I'm not advocating that that's how we seek peace, but, y'all, Wyatt Earp was on to a little something, right? Sometimes you have to make peace. It's not good enough just to keep it. And I would say more and more today, our world's getting to a point where we do carry guns to, to make peace. Not always literal guns, but with our words. Now, we're not advocating that we go the world's way. That's not God's way to make peace. But still, we have to make peace. We must actively make peace. It is not a passive process. This is what we talked about at the beginning. You cannot keep peace. It literally cannot exist, y'all. And the reason is because peace does not exist. You hear it all the time. The world wants peace, right? World peace. Let's find world peace. Y'all, it doesn't exist. Not outside of God. The peace that the world seeks after is a facade. It is a mirage at best, because it doesn't exist. The second that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they introduced this world to sin. And at that moment, the world began to be at war with God. Adam and Eve introduced this war with God. And ever since then, peace has not existed. Mankind has been at war with God from that moment on. And so, there is no peace to be kept. We have to make peace. And if you've been around here for a little while, you know that we can't actually make peace, right? Anything that we talk about in the Christian walk, in being a disciple of Jesus, we can't do it, right? That's why we have that little motto. The Metzger family has, has a motto. I can't but Jesus did and will through the Holy Spirit in me. And that applies to everything, y'all. It applies to our peace. I can't make peace. I can't make disciples, right? But Jesus did. And through the Holy Spirit, he can make peace through me if I let him, right? But real peace must come from the Father. It has to start there. So what does it look like to actively make peace? Let's do the smart thing. We call ourselves disciples of Jesus, right? So let's do what Jesus said. Isn't that a good idea? If we're going to be disciples, do what Jesus says. So what did Jesus say about bringing peace? Check this out from Matthew 10. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I came to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be the members of his own household. It's not very peaceful, Jesus. Somebody should tell him, right? Sounds like a good job for Peter. Does that seem like a Peter moment? Hey, Peter, or hey, Jesus, it's not very peaceful. You sure you don't want to amend that statement? Right, Peter was always doing that. But y'all, this was Jesus' mission. And I always, I love these passages uh, because it, it shows us, it goes a little deeper than just like, oh, this is what Jesus thought, right? We can look at these passages and be like, oh, this is what Jesus thought. And that, I mean, that carries its own weight. That's good. But this goes deeper because those verses 35 and 36, Jesus quotes directly from Micah chapter 7, verse 6. We actually read that in our Bible in a year plan this past week. It was in there. But what this means is that when Micah wrote that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Micah was prophesying as to what the Messiah was going to be like. Which means that it's not just that this was a thought of Jesus. It means that this was who Jesus was born to be. When Jesus was born, he was born to turn families against each other. He was born to turn, to make enemies within your own households, right? And this kind of makes us step back and say, well, hold on a second. What? Right? This is the Prince of Peace, right? That's what we call him. I mean, only at Christmas time, but that's what we call him, right? Jesus, the Prince of Peace. What are you talking about? You're coming here and dividing families, Jesus. What are you talking about? And it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. There are two kinds of peace. You may have heard this before. There are two ways to do things, right? There's God's way, and there's man's way. But we've got to be extremely clear with all of these beatitudes. There is no blessing outside of Jesus, right? There is no blessing outside of the way Jesus lived his life. And so if Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace on this earth, we have to walk in his way. And it all goes back to where we are aiming our peace. The reason we struggle to understand this, the reason this looks so off to us, when we see Jesus saying, I'm, hey, I came to divide households. I came to turn a son against his father, a father against his son, a mother against her daughter, in-laws, right? This is the reason why nobody likes their in-laws, right? I'm just kidding. Everybody here loves their in-laws, right? But this is it, right? Jesus says, this is why I came. And the reason we don't get it is because we're aiming at the wrong piece. See, the world's peace, peace today, is all about tolerance and acceptance. Getting along, right? You do you, I do me, as long as we don't butt heads, we're good. Peace. Keeping peace, right? It's a facade, y'all. It's not real. It doesn't exist. But guys, and we got to be careful here because there's a lot of, you know, depending on, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here, but depending on how mature you are in age, you can tend to look at 
younger generations and say, oh, they're all about tolerance and acceptance, those, those good-for-nothings, right? But listen, y'all, the world's peace, it looked different, and you can argue that, well, back when we were kids, we were all about culture and society and advancing our, our, our group and our families. We lived for family, and we li-. that's wrong, too. If it's not rooted in Jesus, it's wrong. And when you look at this, when you break them down, all of this stuff, the world's way to peace, it's all rooted in the same thing, and it's selfishness. Because since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you can't get past selfishness in your human nature. So when we look at the way the world used to be, right? We, we advance family. We're for family and we're for culture. Well, yeah, well, you advance it as long as it's yours, right? And everybody knows this. You won't talk about it, but you know it. You will advance your family to the point where it becomes too painful for yourself, right? Because the second the family pushes on you in a way that you don't like, forget this. I'll go find a new family, right? We, look, you, know, you may not like it, y'all, but you can go back and look at history. That's what happened, Right? We advance our tribe, we advance our culture, we advance our, you know, whatever. We advance it, but we always do so at the expense of someone else. It's selfishness. And then you turn and look at today's culture. We're tolerant until somebody disagrees with our point of view, right? We're accepting until it starts to get in the way of my freedom, right? It is all rooted in selfishness. You see how the world always tilts toward me, right? My ways, my culture, my views, my truth, right? Because it's been selfishness from the beginning since Adam and Eve fell. That's what sin does. It causes us to be completely self-absorbed, and we will do anything we can. Keep peace, sure, Make peace, sure, as long as I come out on top, right? But God's peace and the world's peace are two completely different things. Completely different. And those in and of themselves, those two pieces are at war with each other. Doesn't that sound interesting? <laughs> How can two pieces be at war? Because one's not right, right? And if the one piece isn't right, but it tries to be, then they're at a war with one another. That's why you can never reach God's peace the world's way. Well, I'll just apply these worldly principles and I can get peace with God. Never. It will never work. Transversely, you can never reach the world's peace God's way. Because as soon as you start walking in, in, in peace, at peace with God, the world is going to turn against you. And you've all seen it happen. You've all felt it at one point or another. This is why Jesus didn't come to bring peace on the earth. That's a very, very important phrase in that. Jesus did not come to bring peace on the earth. Because that would be leaving you to your sinful nature. And Jesus didn't do that, did he? Jesus came to bring you into peace in God's kingdom. 
You see the aim of all of these Beatitudes, right? We talked about it last week. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Everything is aimed at the kingdom of heaven, not this kingdom. Everything. And that's how we have to live, for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' sole aim was to bring you into peace with God. And that is exactly what he did. Look at what Romans 5.1 says. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no peace with God outside of Jesus Christ. You cannot live in peace with God. You cannot live in peace in God's kingdom outside of Jesus Christ and the gift that he so freely gave to you. And this is the same with every other beatitude. Everyone we will talk about, everyone we have talked about. It is all through Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, we have to be so careful in aiming our peace. So careful. Now listen to me. God has called you, as you read through these beatitudes, as you hopefully memorize these beatitudes, remember, this is Jesus' call to every single disciple of his past, present, and future. Everyone who would become a believer in Jesus Christ, this is his call. He wants us to walk into blessing, right? And so all of us, no matter how qualified or equipped or whatever, however you feel, you are called to be a peacemaker. You are called to do this. Whether you like it or not, I think that's the bigger issue sometimes, right? God, I don't really want to be called to be a peacemaker. I kind of like being angry at that person. Right? But we're called to this. We're called to be peacemakers, just like Jesus. We're told in 2 Corinthians that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? That's to everyone, not just the pastors, not just the evangelists, not just the prophets or teachers, you know, everyone is given the ministry of reconciliation, which means we are to bring people into peace with God, just like Jesus, just like he was a peacemaker. And we have to make peace like Jesus made peace. And how does Jesus make peace with us? He's still making peace, right? Anybody? He's still bringing me into peace with God. There are still mornings where I get up and I read my word and the Holy Spirit prompts me and says, Jeremy, you're at war with God on this issue in your life. You need to get rid of it. You need to stop doing this. You need to start doing this, right? Because there are still areas in my life that he's pointing out to me. What does the Holy Spirit do with me? What does the Holy Spirit do with you? He speaks the truth in love, right? Ephesians 4.15, Paul tells the church in, in Ephesus, I almost said in Corinth, but that would make it 1 Corinthians, right? He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. This is the call of a peacemaker, to make peace between God and God's creation. God's aim is perfect. And God's aim is always peace with him. Jesus' aim is perfect. 
and Jesus's aim is always peace with God. The Holy Spirit's aim is perfect, and the Holy Spirit's aim is always peace with God. And so if we are going to be peacemakers, we must do it exactly as Jesus did it. You see what this says in Ephesians? We grow in all aspects into him who is the head. That is Jesus Christ. This is why our aim must be perfect. We cannot fall short on this, y'all. Because speaking the truth in love is hard, isn't it? Does anyone here, well, actually I shouldn't ask that question because there are people who like speaking the truth. <laughs> Not always in love, right? You know where you fall on that personality profile, right? Some people don't mind at all. Yeah, man, give me a machete. I'll chop some people up. Bring it on, right? But, that's, but we've got to be careful. And, and you've got to see that in yourself and you've got to know that about yourself. Because if you love speaking truth, right, and you don't care the consequences, that means you need more love, right? Because these two go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. If you speak the truth, it must be in love because that's how the Holy Spirit does it. And we've got to aim perfect on this, right? Love has to be the motivation behind the truth that we speak. And it, even, even further than that, it has to be God's love that is the motivation. Because a lot of times it can be our self-love that is the motivation, right? We want to speak the truth because somebody's doing something that annoys me. We want to speak the truth because something, somebody's doing something that impacts me in a negative way. Well, I'm going to go speak the truth in love. Mm, not so fast, sweetheart. Because that's what gets you in trouble. That's what gets the church in trouble. Right? I think this is what Jesus is aiming at. It's a fairly familiar passage, but I've actually never heard it taught in this same thought before. But there's a passage in Matthew 23 where Jesus goes through and he talks to, he, they call it the woe to the Pharisees, right? He condemns the scribes and Pharisees in, in the Jewish uh, faith and, and you know, brings all these woes on them for the things that they're doing wrong. But one of the things that he says is, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, that's a convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. See, there's a very interesting spiritual truth. Uh, Paul actually talks about it uh, before in Ephesians 4, and it's called unity of the Spirit. Okay? What does that have to do with peacekeeping? Everything, y'all. Because simply agreeing on something does not mean that you have peace. Not with God. We can all sit in here and talk all day, and I can convince you all that the Cleveland Browns are going to win the Super Bowl this year. That's not God's peace, y'all. It's not. I don't think God gives two rips about who wins the Super Bowl this year. Actually, he probably does, because there's probably some like eternal plan that's going to be worked out through it, because only he can design all those things. But my point is this. We cannot just agree and say, we have unity, right? Yeah, we're at unity, yay! It's not unity of the Spirit, though, because unity of the Spirit belongs to the Spirit. So if 20 million people are all in agreement on one thing and the Holy Spirit is not, there's no unity. Not of the Spirit, right? This should terrify us, y'all, <laughs> If you're paying attention, 
All right, we've got all these spirit-filled believers and we all agree that this is the way to go, right? You see it all the time in the Old Testament. All these prophets, we all get together, yes, go to war, be successful, and they fail. It wasn't unity of the spirit, y'all, right? And the same thing goes with peace because guess what? If you can't have unity of the spirit without the spirit, you're not gonna be able to have peace of the spirit without the spirit, right? So we can all be at peace. Look at the world. There are plenty of people who are at peace and they're all going to hell. I'm sorry. Because they're not at peace with God. That's the peace that we need. Unity of the Spirit belongs to the Spirit. See, the Pharisees and the scribes here that Jesus is talking to in Matthew 23, they were all in agreement, right? They all said, look, we printed it out for you on papyrus. And they rolled out the scroll. This is the check mark. This is what a God-fearing Jew looks like. This is what a God-fearing Jew does. This is what a God-fearing Jew eats. The only problem is they forgot to consult God on whether or not that was his definition of a God-fearing Jew. How many times do we do that as Christians? We do the exact same thing today, y'all. Well, Christians don't have tattoos. Christians don't get piercings, and heaven forbid they color their hair. Right? We do it all the time. That person doesn't look like a Christian. He doesn't act like a Christian. All the time. Y'all, I, I have been in so many meetings, like local church, where, you know, in, in the church, and then all the way up to like big denominational network, regional meetings, you know, for entire areas of Ohio. And all the time you hear this question brought up, what does a disciple of X church look like? Like, so if, if we're the gospel house, what does a disciple of the gospel house look like? Or if we're a big denomination, what does a disciple of this denomination look like? And y'all, I, I, I am a little ashamed to admit, I, I had those discussions. I talked about those things. And what are, I mean, it's, it's, we're bringing business practices into the church, right? Because what we're saying is, what is our goal? Because if we don't know what a Christian should look like, we don't know what we're teaching. We don't know what we're making them to look like, right? But the problem is, since when was it our job to determine what a Christian's supposed to look like? I, was, I participated in those discussions. I was, I was a loud voice in those discussions. I was one stomping my foot and rallying, we need to have these discussions, right? Because that's what the Global Leadership Summit told me to do. And then I was blessed by being broken by this fantastic little book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you've never checked it out, I highly encourage you. It's called Life Together, and it will wreck your world faster than you can get through the book. <laughs> it wrecked my world on just about everything I thought I knew about Christianity. Um, but this in particular, and this issue, and I never asked the question again after I read this. This is what Bonhoeffer says. He says, God did not make my brother in Christ as I would have made him. He did not give him to me as a brother for me to dominate and control, but in order that I might find above him the creator. Now the other person, in the freedom with which he has been created, becomes the occasion of joy to me. Whereas before he was only a nuisance, uh, sorry, I lost my place, and an affliction. 
God does not will that I should fashion the other person according to the image that seems good to me, that is, in my own image. Rather, in his very freedom from me, God's image should appear in others. That image always manifests a completely new and unique form that comes solely from God's free and sovereign creation. To me, the sight may seem strange, even ungodly, but God creates every man in the likeness of his Son, the crucified. After all, even that image certainly looks strange and ungodly to me before I grasped it. What's Bonhoeffer saying? We all, y'all, we all have these ideas of what a Christian looks like, don't we? We all have these ideas of what a Christian does and what a Christian says and how often a Christian comes to church and how many ministry opportunities a Christian partakes of in the world and whether they donate their time to a pregnancy center or not or whether they listen to Christian radio or whatever it is, right? We all have our checklist. The best thing you can do is throw it in the garbage. Now, careful. We've got all of these things. There are two sides to every sword, right? There are timeless truths of God. There are character traits of God that do not change. And so we cannot, this does not teach. Christians can sleep around and cheat on their wives and all. It says everywhere in Scripture that that is wrong, right? And so you can't willfully disobey Jesus and still call yourself a disciple. I mean, you can, but when you get to the end, Jesus is going to say, what, what are you doing? I never knew you, or you never knew me, right? And so there are those things that do not change, but guys, there are other things, right, that we have made into these monumental things. I mean, Jesus followers only listen to Christian music. Jesus followers only do this. Where does it say that in the Bible? Right? Where does it say it? Now look, you, you want to make a case? Like, is it better to, to listen to songs about Jesus than songs about drugs and alcohol and sleeping around? Yeah. I'm never going to discourage that. <laughs> right? But it's not written in stone. And so can you listen to those other songs and still get into heaven? Yeah. I think there's going to be plenty of people in heaven who didn't listen to great music, and God might say, man, I really wish you would have listened to songs about me more than songs about these other things. But y'all, we've got to stop making look, tattoos, right? This is a huge thing. I don't know if it's as huge anymore, but it used to be a huge thing in the church. If you got tattoos, you just signed the welcome certificate to hell, right? Y'all, I got, I got two of them. Sorry. But you've got to stop. We've got to stop making these things salvation issues that Jesus never made salvation issues. We have got to free our brothers and sisters to be who God created them to be. Y'all, some of you have walked through this, and I, I, I'm sorry for that, because some of you have been burned by the church in this exact thing. There's, there was something that you were pointed out or that got pointed out in you as a sin or as you know, something that is keeping you away from the Lord, and you got driven out of a church for it. You got driven away from Christians for it. Y'all, I want us to be a church that brings those people in. I do not want to be a church that goes to other churches and steals people who go to other churches. People are happy and content and comfortable in their other churches. Stay there. 
right? Listen to me, you all. Don't you dare go fishing in another's pond. <laughs> you hear me? Don't go fishing in other ponds. Instead, let's be a church that runs to people that don't look like Christians and tell them, I know that you were told by the church that you can't do this. I know that you were told by the church that this isn't what a Christian looks like, but can you come somewhere where we're going to accept you? Will you come somewhere where we're going to welcome you and we're going to run after God? Y'all, here's the biggest problem. I, I've struggled with this because I even go back and forth, you know, of, of like writing my own disciple-making manual, like, you know, a little way to make disciples and all that stuff. I, I, I just can't do it. And the reason I can't do it is because every disciple is different. Every, and every single one of you, like this Bonhoeffer quote says, every single one of us has been made in the image of God just a little different. And so I can't write to you, here's a way to make disciples and give it to you and have it fit every single person you're going to disciple. Do you know my, my discipling handbook would look like this? Listen to God, obey the Holy Spirit. That's how you make disciples, y'all, right? That's how we need to do it. That's how Jesus did it. Are, are you, can you see why it is 100% necessary when we make peace that we don't do it in our own strength? Because if I make this church into disciples of Jeremy and you all become little Jeremy's running around, that's not what God wants. That does not do his kingdom any favors, and it doesn't get our church any kind of blessings. Because I don't want a bunch of Jeremy's. I want a bunch of little Jesuses, right? I want a bunch of people filled with the Holy Spirit who know how to hear God's voice, who are radically obedient to what he's telling them to do, going out into this world and making a difference. A bunch of little Jeremy's, they're not going to make a kingdom impact. But a bunch of little God, little Jesuses, little gods, that sounds kind of bad, but, but a bunch of people filled with the Spirit, they're going to make a difference. We will change the world. These walls won't hold what God's going to do through us, right? If we run to the people that he's telling us to run to, the people who have been cast out by the church, who don't fit, who don't think they fit, Right? But as long as we insist, like the Jews, like, like, like the Pharisees, of making converts our way, we will always miss the blessing. We will always miss it. But if we get it right, if we listen to the Spirit, we find the result of peace, the result of all of this. Jesus tells us the reason the peacemakers are blessed, is because they will be called sons of God. Jesus made peace between us and God. He literally made the way for us to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. But here's the thing. Peacemaking does not stop after we've become sons and daughters, does it? Hearing the Holy Spirit speak the truth in love to you does not stop after you become a son or daughter, right? Or am I the only one? Hebrews 12 tells us this. Have you forgotten, I'm sorry, you have forgotten, the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It's pretty extreme, isn't it? Right? If you are without discipline, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see how all of this connects? The peacemaking and the persecution and the suffering, how all of it connects the ultimate goal of all of the Beatitudes, the ultimate goal of the entire Bible is for us to become more like God, to become exactly like God, right? That's the command that Jesus ends Matthew chapter 5 with. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But God is not passive with us. He corrects us to make us look more like him. So we must receive that correction if we want to be his sons and daughters, right? We can sing about it until we're blue in the face. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God, right? But God says, not if you won't receive my correction, right? Some of us are so busy running from God's correction, we'll, we'll never get anywhere with him because he's trying to root something out of us, but we hold on to it. We run from the correction because he starts touching a sensitive spot. And we don't like that. It hurts. Correction hurts, right? But if you want to be a child of God, you must receive correction. Likewise, when we step into being a peacemaker, when we correct others, we must do so as children of God. We cannot step for a moment outside of that. Circle all the way back. Let's bring the wagons all the way back around to the very beginning, 1 Corinthians 4. Why was Paul writing this? What was Paul's purpose in writing this to the church in Corinth? He says it in verse 14. He says this, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul is making peace between the church in Corinth and God. He's saying, church, there are some things in you that you're not doing well. There are some things in you that still don't look like Jesus, and we've got to get rid of those things. We've got to start doing these things that, that Jesus did. We've got to start being about the kingdom and the things that Jesus was about. Every letter Paul writes, y'all, everything Paul did was making peace between those who had fallen away, and God, right? And because of that, what happens to Paul? He tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, up to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed and roughly treated and homeless. 
and we labor working with our own hands. When we are verbally abused, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we reply as friends. We have become as the scum of the earth, the dregs of all things, even until now. It is very rare, y'all, that peacemaking is popular, right? Does anybody know anyone who loves to be told that they're wrong? It's pretty rare, isn't it? People don't like to hear it. goes back to what we talked about last week. There's no such thing as a popular prophet, right? You find me one in the Old Testament. There aren't popular prophets because people do not like to be told that they're wrong. It grates against every nerve of that selfishness that sin creates in us. Therefore, if we speak the truth, even when it's in love, even when it is saturated in love, we must be prepared to be persecuted for it. We have to be prepared. Y'all, I've been there. I'm sure that some of you have been there, right? You have lovingly, you've tried to be so gentle and you have lovingly corrected someone on something and it's like somebody just dropped an atomic bomb. They talk behind your back. They drag you through the mud. You made them look bad, so they will go through anything they possibly can to make you look just as bad, right? But what do you do with that as a peacemaker? You will be persecuted as a peacemaker. It really is the only way to make sure that you are aiming at the right thing, right? the only way to make sure that your aim is perfect. We call ourselves disciples of Jesus. So look at Jesus. Jesus was crucified, literally crucified, nailed to a cross for making peace between us and God. But his aim proved absolutely perfect. Y'all, we've got to stop thinking that we are going to make it through without being persecuted. If they crucified our Savior, then when we follow Him and do the same thing, they will crucify us. When we show others the way to have peace with God, we'll be crucified for it. That's what the world does. So we need the Holy Spirit to guide us if we're going to hit our mark. And why? Do you know how hard this is? (laughs) I should probably ask, are you realistic about how hard this is? Because I think we know it. But were you paying attention to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4? When we are verbally abused, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we reply as friends. You're talking about people who are persecuting you. Those are the people we need to make peace with, right? The people who are going to drag your name through the mud. The people who are going to absolutely destroy you on social media. The people who say awful and evil things about you. Those are the very people you are called to make peace with, to show the way to peace with God. We talked about this last week, but what do we as Christians living in this Western world today do when persecution comes? The majority of us don't bless, do we? We kick and scream, yell just as loud as the world, 
sometimes throw in choice world, words like the world does. But when we are persecuted, the way that we suffer well so that Christ is glorified, like what we talked about last week, the way we suffer well is that when they persecute us, we bless them. When they say all sorts of false things and rumors and, and everything else about us, we talk to them as if they're our friends. That's hard, isn't it? Almost as hard as looking down on the very ones who drove nails into your hands and feet. The friends who turned their back on you and handed you over to be crucified and praying and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was the prayer of Jesus on the cross. To exhibit that kind of grace, to show that kind of forgiveness, that kind of peace, it is only possible when it is coming from a heart that is completely pure, which is the beatitude that we will talk about next week. Isn't that convenient? Until then, as for me and my house, my goal is God himself. At any cost, dear Lord, and by any road. Holy Spirit, make the aim of my peacemaking God himself and helping others become more like him. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.